Good morning, y'all. Welcome to the second edition of Mackenzie Stays Up Really Late to Produce a Podcast. Today, we're talking about none other than Joan Didion's Run River. Hello, and welcome back to Didion Hawthorne in the In-Between. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gens, and you're listening to my podcast about the relevancy of literature in the 21st century. Now bookmark that book, and let's begin. Alright, so... Here I am again talking very quietly because it's almost midnight here in Germany. I think honestly that producing podcasts in English has become a rather tremendous difficulty for me since I've been thinking and doing most of my living in German in Germany here. So I'm not usually one to procrastinate, but my mental fortitude here is such that I kind of leave these podcasts to the last minute. But here I am nonetheless. I always promise you guys that I will consistently upload on Mondays, and if I don't consistently upload on Mondays, I'll give you notice, so here I am keeping my promise to you. I hope you are enjoying these late night episodes. A little rambly, a little different, but hey, different is new and change is the only constant. So for some literary news to start off, uh, the Italian author... Andrea Camarelli has just died, unfortunately. Um, he was really famous in Italy for his murder mysteries, and I'll be reviewing a murder mystery in September. It's a brand new uh, translation that just came out um, for you all, as well as reviewing Malcolm Gladwell's brand new book about strangers, but that is also coming in September. Lots of crazy literary news, especially here in Germany as well. Um, I get to see all these streets like Hannah Arendt Strasse and Bjorn Strasse. Bjorn is a really famous Norwegian writer in this kind of a little Oslo district in the middle of Berlin, which is really cool. So to get into Run River, this is going to be quite a quick episode, but I do have a couple of things to say. Um, like I mentioned last week, I did listen to the audiobook for this one because I vowed, I promised my German instructor that I would only speak German in Germany. I'm doing, I think, an 80% good job with that. Um, I need to study, I think, a little bit more um, on my own time outside of class, but I think... Professor, I am doing okay with my German promise, Um, so I did listen to the audiobook in English, unfortunately, but I didn't read the book book in English. Um, There is something to be said, as always, with audiobooks, with the performance, and I think that this performance of it, um, it's the only one available on Amazon, I think the woman's name is Holly something, Um, I thought it was really splendid. I thought it was really beautiful. Um, And for me, audiobooks are often very, very slow since I read and can listen at a very, very fast pace, like two times the speed is normal. Um, I liked the way that her voice didn't change fundamentally when I sped it up to the pace that I was comfortable with. Um, I thought that her differentiations between men and women were very excellent. I thought that she embodied all of the characters really well, and I'm not sure actually that... uh, We'll get into this later, but I'm not sure that I would have fully got into the characters as much if not for this performance. So I think 
that Run River is a good choice for an audiobook listen if you do want to get into some Didion fiction and don't have time to read the book book. So some characteristic Didion things. Um, one of the first things that I caught um, is that there really aren't that many explicit revealing elements of character and plot. So she doesn't hand things or spoon feed things to you as a lot of other authors, especially from her time and locale, do. Um, Truman Capote, for example, he was probably a little earlier, but um, yeah, he is very explicit in terms of character and plot generally, whereas Didion really hides things. You have to hold off until key moments in the novel, usually near the end, not the exact end, but maybe a few chapters before the epilogue. She likes to hide very big elements and details of plot, um, such as murders, deaths, etc., until last moments. So she alludes to maybe a death or a funeral or something like that, and you don't really know what's happening until she explicitly says, oh, so-and-so killed herself or so-and-so was murdered, and it's the same way here. Um, the plot is incredibly wonderful. This is something that's uncharacteristic of Didion, actually, is that she doesn't usually write fiction. She usually writes nonfiction and memoir. This is a fiction novel, and it's gorgeously, gorgeously written. Um, her The last book that I read from her, Play It As It Lays, also fiction. I thought the character development was splendid, but the plot uh, left something to be desired. And in this, I didn't feel that at all. I felt really, it almost felt like reading something by Kurt Vonnegut. It felt wonderfully conclusive and wholesome, and I was left thinking about it for weeks and weeks after I finished it. I'm still thinking about it almost on a daily basis. It's almost like, a, to give another example, like a well-crafted film. My favorite film, Phantom Thread, I still think about it, and I've seen it maybe almost 30 times by now. Um, I can literally watch the movie and say all of the words in the script and I still get something out of it every time and that's kind of how I felt about this book in terms especially of character development and plot and I'd love to read it aside from the audiobook. I think it would be a great experience to put my own narrative voice onto the book instead of taking someone else's interpretation because that is something that you lose with audiobooks is your own take and your own internal voice being able to voice these characters and um, your own images of these characters forming. Um, you're kind of left to take the reader's voice and opinions. Um, another thing I thought that was new for Didion was that the characters had a very tangible quality. For me, Play It As It Lays and a lot of her other fiction books that I've read, I haven't read very many, maybe four, um, but the other fiction books that I've read, I can't relate very well to the characters and it's almost that she tries to write the characters as unreachable in order to communicate whatever 
feelings that she wants to portray. So whether that be stagnance or loss or respect or something of that nature, big, big concept. She usually does that by distancing the character from the narrative and from, therefore, the audience, and I didn't feel that at all in this book. I thought that the characters were very complex. There were a lot of deaths and affairs and arguments, and it was really a slice of life, <laughs> um, to quote. That's a quote, I'm sure. But yeah, I really I did think that the characters were tangible. They felt real, they felt there, the dialogue was splendid, and that is something new that I haven't really experienced from Joan Didion before. Um, something that is characteristic of her, to get back to that, is um, this obsessiveness. She is a very obsessive writer. Um, she loves... I think she's a regional writer, we've talked about this a lot on the show before, because since the show is named after Didion, I try to be very comprehensive in terms, in terms of Didion. We'll get to Hawthorne later. But um, yeah, I really think that she's a regionalist writer for California and maybe for New York a little bit. But I really think that just her best work has come from fiction and nonfiction narrative stories about California and her love of California, and that's very evident here as well. Perhaps not as evident as in some of her other works, especially like Play it, Played As It Plays has a lot of very characteristic California descriptions, whereas Run River, yeah, it's about a farm on some river in California, but I don't get the sense of connection and longing and drawing for California and the land as I do in her other works, especially her nonfiction. And there's another part actually in the book that she talks um, very, very briefly, maybe only on half a page or so, of the waterway and highway systems of California and this character, the main character, um, likes to think about it in order to get her mind off of her sister-in-law's death. And I think that Didion did the same thing. She was obsessed with these little internal processes and things that people wouldn't normally gravitate towards. And she would focus on those instead of the things at hand in order to calm herself and center herself. And so I thought that was very interesting, but that's also something that I've encountered a lot before in Didion's writing, especially in her new book, South uh, and West. And the final thing that we'll talk about today was that um, something else new that I thought was quite splendid in this book was that the plot wasn't stagnant, as it often is in her literature, um, but it wasn't chronological either. So there was a very definitive plotline, almost a narrative plotline. Um, lots of things happened. It was over a period of years that we can definitely say, okay, here's 1950, for example, and then here's 1955 where it ends. But it starts with almost this frame narrative um, where the characters are situated at the time of this husband, um, the main character's husband, uh, he murders one of 
his sister's lovers essentially that's at the very end of the plot line in terms of time frame we start there and then it goes all the way back until the beginning when they're married when or when they're first married rather when they just have children and so we get this very energetic start and then end up going all the way back to this sort of bubbling and boiling beginning and I thought that that was really enervating to hear because it was it was something very new from Didion that I had not experienced before reading and of course when you get back to the original frame at the end it's just a really glorious experience of being able to understand finally all the motivations and maybe not fully understand but the motivations and the eccentricities and the little nuances of the character and plot line that you didn't really get in the beginning that is all for this week i want to thank you guys so much for listening i've had a blast these last few months i think this is episode 50 right <laughs> i've had a blast this last year creating podcasts for you guys um I do want to say that I don't make any money from this. I don't advertise at all, um, at least not at this point, because I just feel like it's me having a conversation with literature, with you. It's something we both love, and I love the fact that we're able to make a community together without any monetary gains or sacrifice whatsoever. So I want to thank you guys so much for your support this last year and um happy anniversary on dhni if you enjoyed the discussion and would like to hear more from me there is an episode of dhni for everyone so i'd recommend checking out our back catalog of episodes 2019 is the year of didion so if you'd like to follow along in my quest to read joan didion's collective works or learn more about the movement to bring lit back to people everything can be found at didion and hawthorne.blueberry.net and remember that blueberry is spelled b-l-u-b-r-r-y now you can also follow the show on Twitter with at DidianIn, two ends total. I'll be posting about new lit releases, reading lists, and of course the new projects and episodes relating to DHNI. Still there? One more thing then. Remember that leaving a comment or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other Guilty Pleasure podcast platform helps leverage the show so that other literature enthusiasts can find the community. In other words, it helps a ton. Auf Wiederhören!